You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. This past week as I was studying and preparing for uh, tonight, early on in the week the Lord spoke to me as I was uh, going through the passages of our Bible readings that we do, our, our, of course, daily Bible reading, which I post on Facebook. And in, in those scriptures, we do the 365 increments, as you know. Well, right now, we're, we've been working our way through Pauline letters, Galatians, and now Ephesians. And as we got into Ephesians, I uh, really ran ahead and started um, reading it more and more because uh, Ephesians is all about the heavenly realms. Everything in there. There are more mentionings of that term that is heavenly realms or places than anywhere else in the Bible. And uh, some of you may remember, in fact, about a year ago, this message was preached. And I'm actually repeating it because God told me to. I wouldn't do that usually, but he told me, I need you to redo this message and I'm going to uh, reveal things to people key individuals that need to hear it. And so, of course, I can, if you've ever been in my ministry and you've traveled with me, I often have a message I will take to multiple villages or places. And as you know, it never comes out the same way. It's always a different, it can be the same outline, same passages, same notes, same everything, but the Spirit speaks each time as He wishes. And of course, we yield to that. And uh, before we even get into this message, uh, that's what I like to consider this, this idea about God and his blessings. So I want to pray. Father, I ask that you would bless this time of your word, bless the reading of your word. That is me as I read it, pronounce the things of God to the people that are gathered here tonight. But we also pray that you bless the hearing of it. That's the aspect of giving us the open minds to scriptures and also the spiritual ears to hear. And so, Lord, we are operating in spirit tonight. We take a moment to step out of the flesh, to step out of the human mind, to step out of the scientific principles of life and consider another dimension. Consider another realm. That is the spiritual realm, the heavenly realms of God, because you're calling us there. So, Lord, as we go through this, I ask that your anointing would be upon us to teach us in Jesus' name. And everyone that agrees, say amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want to start by saying God is spirit. And it says in John chapter 4, verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father Seeks. I love this passage because it says that Father God is looking for people, very specific people, to do specific things in a very specific manner. That is a spiritual capacity. We are spirit creatures. We are made, body, soul, our, our minds, and our spirits. So the spirit of God is the breath of life we breathe in that is our spirits. That's how he created the first man. He breathed his breath into the nostrils of Adam, and Adam became a living being. We're the same, we just don't remember a time in our creation when God breathed into us, but it did take place, and we were conceived in our mother's wombs, and we have a spiritual capacity that sometimes is a bit 
elusive or hard for us to understand, but that's what the Father's looking for. Now, he does not look for those that will relate to him in the physical realms. Remember last week's message? Those of you here, we looked at Paul's teaching in Galatians concerning Hagar versus Sarah and their children, Ishmael versus Isaac. And it was clearly um, delineated there by the Apostle Paul that we are to throw out the flesh. We are to put Ishmael and Hagar out of our lives and embrace what is Isaac and Sarah. So he uses it as an analogy, but it's true. We need to live by spirit for the very reason that we're reading here is that the worshipers, true worshipers, and that presupposes that there could be the opposite of false worshipers. Um, I could attest to the fact that I have seen false worship in my lifetime. I've seen things happening in churches before that I doubted very seriously God had anything to do with, sadly. Maybe good music, but not always true worship. But so true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, sincerity and in a spiritual capacity. For they are the kind of worship that the Father is seeking. He's looking for them. And why would he do that? Well, it gives you the answer in verse 24. Because God is spirit. So if God wants to relate to us, he cannot relate to us as easily in a fleshly realm. The Bible says God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So this spiritual capacity we have, we know it. Sometimes we can be very naturally minded, but I think we've all had encounters with supernatural things, not just in the realms of the Holy Spirit, but we may have uh, histories or memories of encounters and things that we've experienced many years even before that. I like the account that you see about spirit encounters in Job chapter 4 verse 12. It says, a word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people. Fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. How many of you have ever experienced something like that? They speak about sleep paralysis. When that moment you wake up and you're not, you can't move yet. Have you ever been in that time where you're frozen and you feel there are spiritual things happening? In that border between consciousness and sleep, there seems to be a greater susceptibility to this realm that we're talking about. And this scripture kind of exposes that. And this is, you know, Job talking about these experiences he had with God beyond the natural. So from the oldest book in the Bible, which is the book of Job, we see a clear account of man interacting with spiritual forces that he cannot identify or put his finger on because they are spirit, not corporal or physical. And we have to have an understanding of this. We need to be able to grasp this mentality because of the scripture that we saw before this about the need to worship in spirit and in truth. So we're bringing our focus there. And I think every one of us has had similar experiences to this. Um, I've had many experiences like this over the years. I had these experiences long before I ever met Christ. Because before I knew Jesus, Jesus still was, the spiritual realm still existed. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment, but I think everybody's had experiences that they cannot quite explain. Uh, it's important to think about and try to understand that there are 
two different realms. And this is why uh, we develop discernment. We, so we live in the natural realm. It's easy to figure that one out because you can see it. But there's a spiritual realm that is far more important than this dimension. In actuality, the things that are taking place in the spiritual realm so far outweigh the things of the natural realm. And nothing that we can see is of import or value in an eternal dimension. So therefore, only the things that we do spiritually really matter. The only things that God gives us of any value, and I'm not talking about money or provision and those things, those things God don't, it's, it's neither here nor there for him. He don't really care much. He, he wants to bless his people, but what he really cares about are the spiritual endowments, spiritual gifts, relation to him in spiritual capacity. And that's why it's so important that we work on this at all times. Remember that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom is spiritual. And 1 Corinthians 15, 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So the physical, natural state of man and our decaying beings cannot, this, this cannot enjoy the fullness of the Spirit of God. It can, as a byproduct, receive blessings. Maybe it's healing supernaturally, if it's diseased or sick. God can do things for it, but they are secondary to the deep spiritual work that he does in us. So, really, we know that our time here is limited. Another important point as I form an introduction here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So while uh, all throughout the Bible from beginning and you see this, this delineation or this marking, James chapter 4 verse 14, it says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So as we're considering this, about this part of our life, because our focus on linear time causes us to think it's a lot, technically it's not. So we have to gaze or direct our attentions. What does it say? And he says to look above, look up to God. Every time that Jesus prayed in a public format, it says he looked up to heaven. So when Jesus prayed and is recorded, it says, and Jesus looking up to heaven, said, Father, blah, blah, blah. Like from there, it just goes on to all the time. What is he looking at? What is he considering up there? Is he looking at the clouds or the sky? No, he's looking into another dimension. And Jesus had access to that dimension. But the amazing thing about his complete and fulfilling access to the supernatural realm is that we are promised that same capacity. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus is Jesus, of course, we'll never be that. That's not what Jesus said. He said, even greater works than these shall you do. Jesus said that, that he comes before us to lead us, and the Bible talks about him as the firstborn among many brothers. He's our big brother. If we see Jesus do it, we can do it. We can follow his example. And I've put this to the test through the years. But one of the realms in prayer, I noticed that he looks up. He's considering that other realm. And this particular Greek word that we have um, in the Bible, do we have the Greek word there? In the, um, there no, okay. It's um, eporenios. And it's a word that is talking about 
the sky in some places, but it's mentioned 18 times in the New Testament, and most of those times are in the book of Ephesians. So the book of Ephesians is really the supernatural book or the heavenly realm book. And the word always describes that realm, Eperoneus, as a place that is not of the earth, a celestial place. It's speaking not simply of a geographic location, but a different kind of realm entirely that cannot be qualified or measured with earthly standards. That's why Jesus said, if somebody says, look, here's the kingdom of God, he says, don't think that the kingdom can be detected by your careful observation. He says, because it's already in your midst. It's here. What he meant was that realm is superimposed or intermingled with our natural realm, but it's very hard to define because spatial awareness is challenged by it. Uh, scientists talk about folding space. If we could do this, you know, I get into all these ideas about those things. But God can easily do that. Uh, God is into time traveling. We've talked about that before here. You said, how is God into time traveling? Well, he brought John to the future and then brought him back to an island on Patmos so he could write down what he saw. That's time travel. So God can do that. He can bring us to realms. That's the prophetic. Now we look through a glass darkly. We see in part but he is showing us things. How do we then gain access to that? How can we see future things or things that have not yet come? We can because he gives us a glimpse of it through the portal of the Eperaneus or through the timeless dimension. Sounds a bit mystical to talk about it that way, but I know from personal experience from the time I was a very young man that I begged God for a year of my life for an encounter I begged him to touch me. I begged him for the anointing. Cried out every single day for 365 days. I was only 18 years old, but I made it my mission, my life's campaign to press in and experience exactly what I read about in all those books. You know those books. You read about the evangelists and the pastors and these guys that had these encounters. Or you go to the book of Acts. You read about the road to Damascus and the light. And you talk, talk, read about the transfiguration and Moses. How many of you read those things and think, I want that. I would love to experience those things. Well, I happened upon a formula when I was only 17 that the word of God says that he's no respecter of persons. Is it not true? It says he's no respecter of persons. All are equal. So therefore, anybody, and this was my conclusions as a young, young believer, anybody that experienced anything in the word of God is not a better person than me by God's position and standards. Why? Because he's no respecter of persons. So therefore, if it happened to any other human being, biblical or not, Extra-biblically, people that have lived, you hear any testimony, there's nothing a man can tell you that is not also available for you. And the devil has a lie of elitism that only certain special anointed apostolic men that are very holy and are destined by their heritage can have these great encounters. Absolutely not true. And I refuse to accept it as a young man. And based upon that, I really started seeking God. I started seeking these realms, this other dimension. And I remember when the Lord finally came to me, it was quite overwhelming. And I ended up falling to my knees and weeping and weeping. The presence of God came very strong. And as I regained strength, I stood. And I'll never forget the time that he says, I want to show you, I want to show you time from my perspective. 
This is this really happened to me. I share the story sometimes. Some people believe me. Some people don't. I really don't care. I know it happened. And in that realm, I was standing behind me was a tube. That's all I can call it. Almost like a very big drainage pipe when they're doing road works and you see those massive pipes they leave on the side of the road like that. But yet it was uh, semi-transparent. And God said, I want to show you time from my perspective. And I stepped backwards into it. And when I went into it, suddenly I was in that tube. And I could see everything in the future, present, and past as one single moment. Now that's scary, first of all. We're not ready for that. I, as I testify, I was not ready for it. And it frightened me half to death. Because in that moment, I did see all the way to the end of my life and to the beginning of my life, just like that. While I stood in that place, um, I thought of, first person I thought of was my beloved wife. Because, you know, I, she was my partner in spiritual crime and I wanted her to get involved in anything that God was doing. And I wanted her to come, but God muffled the sound of my voice. I could not get her to come. She was in the other room and I yelled for her, but she didn't hear anything because it was God was doing something in me. So I thought about her in that moment. When I did, in that tube, her life. All the way to the end and all the way to the beginning. And then I saw that glimpse. And I remember saying, the first thing I said to the Lord is, I don't want to see this. Because you don't. Believe me, if you, when you see eternity as it really is, you know, you understand why we can't handle it. So we look through a glass darkly. We prophesy in part, it says, because we can't afford to see the whole thing. What does it say, though? That there will be a time that we will see him as he is. And he will be revealed in all of his glory. Then we will know all things. In the same context, we look through a glass darkly. We see in part, but then we will see the whole. When we are given another capacity... Because we need to be able to have a being mentally, emotionally, and another form of physicality that can even handle that. Because we can't. And from my experience and the little bit of a glimpse that he gave me, it's petrifying. It's terrifying. And I stepped out of that and the Lord told me that I was not ready for that. And he pulled out of the room and then he drew me on through a series in my life ever since then of chronic encounters. It come and go, and I live from waypoint to waypoint of moments that I go over into the Epiraneus, which is what we call the spiritual realm. Sometimes we call it the Holy of Holies, which it is. The Holy of Holies was just another form of portal that God created on earth so that God could relate from an eternal perspective in an earthly realm. So what us thinking about all this, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this realm so much. And in his letters to the churches, he communicated with the Ephesians, especially in Ephesus, because Ephesus was a Greek city and, and a primary port of commerce and social belonging. Ephesus was like a New York City. Ephesus was like a London. In other words, it was a hub of knowledge and understanding and learning. It was one of the chief seats of education. So the people there were very intelligent. The people were educated and more intelligent than many of the other places that Paul had traveled. So it shows up in his writings. He figured that they could handle this more if he explained it to them. And he does, and we're going to study that, of course. And this enabled him to speak to those people in a more sophisticated level concerning spiritual issues. And we're going to examine that. We're invited to know it, honestly. As it says in Ephesians 3.16, I pray, this is his prayer, 
Imagine that you are in the church at Ephesus. Amen. We are the members of that church. And this letter was written to us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being, which is your spirit man. And we want a lot of power and strength, but it's our spirit man that receives this. So that Christ... <laughs> So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp. That word means to hold on to. It can be translated to attain or comprehend. To grasp, he says, how wide... How long and high and deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love, that, by the way, surpasses knowledge. Don't think you're going to figure it out. You can't understand it, but you can grasp it. Because it's like the peace of God. It passes all understanding. But it guards you. The Bible says it stands as sentinel over your conscience. But here we see that to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you, in order that you, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This means that God has a spiritual capacity for every believer, and certainly everyone at Ephesus that Paul is writing to, that says you can receive a level of or endowment of understanding that will cause you to grasp multiple dimensions. Did you get what he says here? How many of you have ever seen a 3D movie? You've seen a 3D movie. It's great because it's dimension. It looks like dimensions. I, we're seeing in 3D right now, unless you have only one eye, you are seeing in 3D. So you close one eye. Of course, you're not seeing in 3D anymore. You're only seeing two-dimensionally. But if you have another eye open, because of your sight, you see three dimensions. So you can judge depth, right? Easy enough. And so there are three dimensions, right? If I describe a three-dimensional object like this monitor or this speaker here, I can measure it. I was a carpenter. We use measurements. I've done other projects where we need measurements of what? There's a sign maker back there. He knows you need to have dimensions. You make it pretty much a two-dimensional sign. But if you're doing anything other than that, you have another dimension, right? So you have three. You have long, and you have wide, and maybe you have height, right? The height of it, the width of it, and the length of it. So that's three dimensions. But look what he says here. To grasp how wide, that's one dimension. Long, that's one dimension. And high, another dimension. Okay, those are natural. But then he goes on to another dimension. And deep. Remember the Bible says that deep calls to deep. His spirit bears witness with our spirit in communication in this depth, in this realm. And that's why Paul is asking and praying to God for the Ephesians or for us that we would know. He's inviting us. When it comes to dreams, visions, and spiritual happenings, Paul wrote in another place that uh, I know a man that was caught up to the third heaven. Remember, he wrote about that. And he was actually talking about himself. He went to that dimension. Uh, that moment when I was a young man and I had that experience, that was that dimension. 
That's not the only time I've been there. He's showed it to me before. And all it does is shake you and cause you to become hungrier to know it. But we can never really know it. Why? Because it says it surpasses knowledge. So we see these four dimensions. And Paul invites us to grow and grasp that knowledge. Now you can just say, well, I don't know. It's a little too technical for me. I'm just happy living my life as it is. Well, then stay right where you are, you ignorant thing. You get what you ask for. I'm hungry for knowledge. I want to know everything I can. I'm not going to just say, oh, that's enough. There's never enough when it comes to things of the Spirit. There's more. There's more. There's more. When it comes to the Spirit, I am a greedy person. If, if, if in this room tonight, God said, look, I have only so much of my Spirit right now to give to, to you. I can give it to you, but there might not be enough for the others. I would say, well, they just have to get their own. Because the Spirit, the Bible says, there's only one thing we can covet after. The Bible says, don't covet your neighbor's goods, nor your neighbor's wife. But it says, covet the spiritual gifts. The only thing that God likes when you want. He likes that when you see a spiritual gift in action, or a supernatural occurrence, or utterance, or something in the Bible, that you lick your lips. Mmm. Like it's a steak. I want that. And if you want that, and you go after that realm, and you seek that, you will attain it. But a lot of people don't. I like what, what Moses did. Moses went over to see, why is this bush not burning up? And when God saw that he went out of his way to see it, he spoke to him. I can't help but think, what if he hadn't been curious enough? He wouldn't have been spoken to by God. The Bible says it, it's, it's real. So that curiosity, that longing... So now we're going to go into this and see five things for us that exist in the heavenly realms. These are important things. How many of you are interested in this message? Because if you're not, this is your chance to flee. You can escape quickly. Thank you, Jesus. Number one, every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly realms. So anything that is a blessing from God comes from that realm, not this realm. There's nothing for us down here, first of all. There's not, this, is, this is a waste of time. As far as, I mean, there's byproducts down here that will provide, God will give to us. It's his, it is his good pleasure to bless you with everything you need. You fill your mouth with good things. That's, that's all available, but that's not important at all. That's why he makes fun of the people that are worried about this. He says, look, consider the sparrows. They're not sowing and reaping. They have little sparrow farms out there where they're growing wheat. They, but their father takes care of them. And if he takes care of birds, how much more? So that's not the issue. All of the emphasis of the Bible is always on this other realm. That's what matters. That's what's important. These are the realms that the entire mindset and, and, and disposition of John the Baptist dwelled in. He didn't care. Even his own life, even when his ministry was fading and becoming less and less, he's like, well, you know what? I must decrease so he can increase. A man can't receive anything that doesn't come down from the Father. So his only source or value was from Epiranius. He didn't want the things of this life. And it was such a beautiful place to get to if you can get to that place where you set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth, then you will be perpetually satisfied, perpetually filled with joy and peace. 
So the scripture goes and says here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. With what? With every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Now this is interesting because if He did this before the creation of the world, there was no world. He was just sitting in another place making up his mind about these matters. Where was that? The Epiraneus. From that timeless, vast space that it cannot be measured, not by time or dimension. From that depth, he knew you. He already planned you. He had every plan to bless you. And so, he wanted to bless you in the heavenly realms. He has, and whenever it speaks about these dimensions, the Bible curiously in the Greek chooses a certain set of tenses that are completed actions, both compound tenses as in perfect tense, or also he will use um, past tense. And this is the first one. Who has, past tense, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing to Christ. Why? Because he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Why Jesus says in his prayer, let it be on heaven as, I mean, in, on earth as it is in heaven. It is a fulfillment. The things that he planned and strategized there, when I try to live the will of God for my life, there's one thing I worry about. What's written in heaven? I've, I firmly believe that in heaven there are texts that are written or basically our life story. The way I visualize it is a big archive of books in a beautiful old English kind of style of these beautiful leather-bound books with gold gilded letters on them with the names of all the people that exist on this planet, have ever existed or will ever exist, that are perfect plans. Horizos, predestined, the Greek word means horizons. That God already etched out the horizons of our potential. And he's inviting us over to fulfill it. He wants us. And only the truly yielded soul and spirit can access all of the gifts to make that a reality. This is very exciting to me, what this scripture is telling us. In the heavenly realms, every spiritual blessing, every good and perfect gift. It says in James 1.16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from where? It's from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, which is not changed like shifting shadows. And not, that is a reference to a time dial that the sun uses, a sundial. In the Greek, it's a sundial. So what causes you to be able to tell time? Well, the motion of the sun. But with him, he can make the sun stand still. Time is irrelevant. That's, what it, that's the reference. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that, he, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So it says, don't be deceived there. Why would it give you a warning? Actually, there's a whole grouping of 
passages in the Bible that say, don't be deceived. It's a great message. Do it for yourself. It's there. What, what can we easily be deceived about? Just go find everywhere the Bible says, hey, don't be deceived. Because it's telling you. Also, I don't want you to be ignorant. It's, another, it's a whole other message. But here he's saying, don't be deceived, brothers. Look, everything, every good gift. So let's look at the antithesis of these words. Every good and perfect gift would be the opposite. Every bad and imperfect gift or curse comes from below. You know, I like to, to um, retroactively work verses in reverse. Just do the negatives of it and you get a lot better understanding. So he chose to give us this and he does it. And this is seriously uh, interesting because uh, it says, don't be deceived because many believe that this life is all there is. And this is a seriously short-sighted and counterproductive perspective to proper spiritual development. Because your focus is below and not above. So if we retrain our attentions and bring our focus to the heavenly realms, we'll be blessed. That's what the Bible is saying. We must understand that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is there kept for us. For both our existence on earth and our eternity. So very exciting. Number two, there's five of these, so we're moving right along. Number two, Christ is in the heavenly realms. Well, duh, we know that. But no man has ever come, he said these words, no man has ever come down from heaven, no man's ever gone to heaven, except for the one that came down, and he meant himself. He's the only one, the only one that came in that capacity. So he spoke of it that way. I come from the Apparanius. I was there before all this time. John the Baptist understood it. He said, the one who was after me but is before me. Meaning, yeah, he was physically born under the heavens on earth after John the Baptist. But John, you know, he existed before I ever did because he was the word made flesh. Christ is in the heavenly realms. And here Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened how many of you could stand some enlightenment these days? I want the lights turned on. Sometimes I feel like my lights aren't turned on. You ever hear that expression, the lights are on but no one's home? Sometimes I feel like, uh, like my, my lamp is burnt out and I'm trying to figure something out. So I, yeah, I, I accept this prayer from the great apostle Paul that, that my heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. There's that power again. You can't touch the Epiranius without running into power. Everywhere it talks about it, there's power. And that power accidentally spills out of that realm. If you need power for anything, that realm is power. When we access it, the power is released to us. That power, it says. So it says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly realms. So we know that he said goodbye to his disciples as he ascended up in the cloud and received them out of their sight. Where was he going? The Apparanius. He went back home. See, his origins were there. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
So it was clear here that it was God's plan from before the creation of time for us uh, to be with him in the heavenly realms so that he would make the way. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, right? John chapter 14. Uh, don't, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you orphans, he says. I'm going to go, I'm, this is the whole reason I came, man, is to punch a hole through eternity and the veil in the temple would split in half and now there's a highway and I'm going to bring you there and I'm the only way, by the way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You're not going to get to the Father who is in that Piranius unless it's through me. So don't worry. I'm not going to leave you here as an orphan. You're adopted. And I'm going to go open it and prepare a place so that when you get there, you have a nice place to hang out. And he meant that because my dad has all these amazing rooms in his mansion and you'll be able to have your own place. How many of you believe that's true? I know it sounds crazy sometimes. And that's where you have to get out of your head and into your heart because we think so hard about these things. We just accept them with our heart and our spirit. It's God's plan to do this. Jesus was there before he came and he only came here to open the door for us to enter into the heavenly realms to be with him. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's interesting that grace is apportioned by Jesus. Different people require more and less grace. How many of you believe that's true? I know some people find it a lot easier to live with less grace. I need a lot of grace. I need like dump trucks full of grace. And he backs them up. On, I hear them every day. Meep, meep, meep. You know when those trucks back up? And I can, it lifts and dumps on me. And I believe me, I know because I place the order every day. I need grace. That's why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, which is the antithesis of the Epiranius. The opposite is the earthly region. So we're on earth, but then above that is the Epiranius, and below that there is regions inside the earth, which is the grave and also paradise for a season before the way was open. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. John chapter 6, verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is... Jesus talking to someone, a woman, and sir, they said, or these, uh, this group, this particular group, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, will let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Because we have that. And we're connected to Him. And what's so cool is because once it goes through the veil that is ripped, it connects to Him. And if we're connected to Him, we are constantly safe. That's why the Bible refers to it as an anchor. Our anchor holds within the veil, it says. Because we're connected to an eternal place. How can time challenge us if we are eternal people? It's irrelevant. Hebrews 9.11, but when Jesus Christ, or when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. 
If I were to tell you what the Bible says about his work of opening that fissure or that path, um, for me to exhaust the places in the Bible, it talks about what he did opening that path. It would take me about 30 hours to teach it. There's The Bible always is talking about it everywhere. We just kind of overlook it. Because it's the highest priority that this way is. And that's what he meant when he said what he said, that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now accessible. So change yourself. Repent. Change the way you live, the way you think, the way you perceive life around you. Jesus had his origins in that eternal realm. And that's John 14 again. I said a little while ago, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? What are you calling me a liar? Is what he's saying? What do you think it's not true? You think I would just make this stuff up? I have to do the SNV. Ever hear of the SNV? It's the Stephen Nico version. I'm going to do it one day. Yes, just like that, super colloquial, just like, you know, you think I'm a liar? I'm, I, wouldn't it be a cool Bible to read sometime? I mean, we pretty much have that in the message and some of these others, but I'm going to do my own just for fun, and I'm going to read it and record it and stick it on my Facebook. I say make the Bible practical. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Yeah. You notice he does not, in the Greek, he does not use the tense where I will be. Because it's a specific tense that it, grammatically this would be incorrect because he's not there in the moment he says it. But he knows exactly what he's saying. Because he's already occupying the spiritual dimension because it transcends all physicality. Because it is, physicality is a product of the Uranus. It came out of it from God's will. So being that it is his plan to have us with him, we need to be preparing for that transition. Anybody, anybody ready for that transition? You want to go through that metamorphosis? I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm looking for, I want to see, there's a lot of things about my body I don't really like. That I, I can change if I want to, but I'm too lazy. But that body will be perfect. And I won't have to do anything for it. It'll just be. So I'm looking forward to that transformation. Number three. We're going to make quick work of this now. Our place is in the heavenly realms. Well, that's good news. In fact, that's salvation. His place is in the heavenly realms. Of course, every blessing comes from there. But now we see our place is there. But and this is Ephesians 2.4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the coming ages, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting because it's past tense. He sat us there already. We're already there. Huh? I'm there? No, I'm here on earth. No, get out of your head and get into your heart. Read your Bible. We are already there. I, I go to it every day. When I pray, I'm there. I am totally losing myself. Uh, this morning, I had an encounter of God. I almost died. I'm not even exaggerating. I thought I was going to die. I thought maybe... Actually, somebody wrote me not that long back and told me God was going to kill me. It wasn't a friend. There's enemies out there. 
this person wrote me like a whole letter of cursing. Like, just you need witches in your life every now and then. So she wrote all this stuff, and I'm like, I wrote back and said, well, I can't accept any of this. This is, you know, I appreciate that you, uh, thank you for writing it, but I do not accept these words. I wrote back, well, you must accept them because it's what God is saying. And so this morning I thought, maybe she was right. Gosh. <laughs> and it was before the Chinese service. I was rehearsing music. And God just came in so so strong. It was like that time with us, Valerie. Remember that? Stronger than that. Valerie and I almost died not that long back. That when the Epiraneus is forced upon you and God is standing in that place. Man, it was overwhelming. And I came out of it and the people came in the church for the service and they were looking at me because I'm kind of like stunned. And I start the service under that weight of glory and they're like, what's wrong? They're pretty used to seeing me that way. And it was great. It's a wonderful time. So I'm there all the time. So this scripture makes perfect sense to me. He has seated me in the heavenly realms. I like uh, Hebrews chapter 6. It says very clearly that we are partakers of the Holy Spirit, participants of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Currently, we have access to those things through Jesus. Such a wonderful thing to have. So it's interesting to consider that uh, this mention of the heavenly realms includes us, not in the distant eternal future, you know, not in the sweet by and by, hallelujah. One day on God's celestial shores, I will finally arrive and be in glory. Yes, that will happen in a physical capacity, but we're there now, and we can enjoy all the benefits of His presence that way. I love His presence. Whenever trouble may happen in your life on earth, just think of, of, of it like a temporary stay. It's like, think of it as a hotel visit. Do you ever get a really nasty hotel room? I mean, it's crappy. And there's like roaches under your pillow and stuff. And there's like pubic hairs and stuff. And you know, nasty. I'm talking bad. I know we've all at one time have been in that hotel. My wife, in fact, at that time decided she invested into what's called a dream sack. Do you ever hear of one? It's, a, it's like a silken or a satin bag that you can zip on yourself. Cover your, just your face sticks out. She's, she's ready. She goes to certain areas and it folds up really small. Really small. And she, see, she, does, she like entombs herself in that thing. And she's like in a tube. <laughs> Nothing can touch her. But anyway, it's like that. When life gets bad, checkout is in the morning. You're going to just, just sleep real quick. Wake up because you're going to be checking out in the morning. You get out of it. You don't have to live there. It's, we don't have to live on this planet. <laughs> we, can, we can check out tomorrow. It's going to come quick. Just consider it a bad holiday. And you'll be okay. And then sometimes life is great. Really. When I look in my daughter's eyes, life is great. Man, I love my daughter. I look at my children. I look at pictures of my grandchildren dancing and playing. and I'm, Life is awesome. But then like two seconds later, ding, a message comes on my phone and destroys it. Just some information. Ah, you know that. That's life. So don't worry about it. If our minds, our affections are set on things above, his ways, his ideas, then we'll know always. It's just a, we are sojourners in a foreign land. We're just kind of traveling through here. It's okay. And I get so joyous and happy knowing that. I'm okay. 
If I knew that in the morning I'm waking up and going to Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, and I'm in a really crappy hotel, I'm okay with it. Because I know the first thing in the morning I'm going to be at those gates going into Disney World. If you've never been to Disney World, the analogy's a little lost on you, but it is amazing. And now the Star Wars sections are open, both Disneyland and Disney World. That's my, my heart's desire is to go to the Star Wars parts. of. But anyway, I can stay in any hotel. I can sleep on the street outside of Disney World and be happy. So if you run into trouble, don't worry about it. Because you don't live here. Your place is in the heavenly realms. This is a temporary residence. Number four. This is not a good one, but it's necessary. Enemies are in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and it is mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the Apparanius. Interesting, isn't it? So, who lives over there in that realm? It says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God, the full armor of God, that when the day of evil comes, you're going to be able to stand your ground. And after you've done all and everything to stand, stand. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That shield of faith is a model of a Roman shield, which is the size of a door, and it is soaked in water. The Greek word speaks of it. They soak it in water. It's waterlogged, and you basically just stick it in front of you and stand behind it on the battle line. And when they shoot the flame arrows, they just they get quenched. When they hit it, the fire burns out because they can't burn the wood. And you just... Walk and keep advancing with that. That's our faith. It's that powerful. Pray in the Spirit, it says. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Should, should I pray in the Spirit only on certain occasions? No, it says all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. There is many different ways of praying. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So be alert and always keep on praying. So we have to understand that the realm of the Spirit is inhabited by three categories of created beings, right? You have man, uh, you have demons, and you have angels. Now, God is there too, but we're not talking about him at this moment because we're looking at enemies. But man, of course, is physical. You can see him, no problem. Demons, however, are floating around in the Epiranius and have easy access to different places if you give them that access. You certainly have access to them. And angels also are there to work on your behalf. So there's a constant battle going on around you that you cannot see, but yet it's the most important battle of all time. And it is really what will determine your eternity based upon your faith and your understanding or your yieldedness to that. So the real struggle is not against the physical dimension of flesh and blood, but against these spirits. The enemy's attacks come from that. Those conflicting thoughts and ideas. That's where it says every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, you have to take it captive. That's all the spiritual war. Demons whisper things in your ears all the time. But you have angels also, and you have the Holy Spirit. Thank God. 
Uh, the put on the full armor of God, really this is the breakdown. Truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, word of God. That's the armor. That we have the truth. The truth sets us free. We're made righteous because we believe. Just like Abraham, it's counted unto us as righteousness. The gospel simply means good news. The good news is that you're not bound to this age, but you're free and have been given access regardless of your inability to live right, regardless of your inability to fulfill law. By grace, you have access. By faith, we believe salvation. We know we're saved because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and the word of God. Let it constantly be in your hand. And it says there, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And Jude 1.20 but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So you can pray in the Holy Spirit. If you can pray in the Holy Spirit, you can pray out of the Holy Spirit. I've done both. It's better in. Because when you pray with the Holy Spirit, He does amazing things. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness or our inability. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. you ever experienced those groanings? You're praying, it's just, oh, you feel it right there in your spleen region, right in the center of your being. You know why it's in the center? Because of the cardia or the center. That's where your spirit lives. And Epiranius focuses right there in the middle of you. And so you feel the Holy Spirit with your spirit having a little powwow down there in the middle. And that's why you tend to bow over it and around it. Because it's a lot's going on in one small spot. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And there's another passage there. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. But I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. But I will sing with my mind also. Now here he's not saying I will pray with the Spirit capital S. I pray with my spirit. That's his volition controlling his spirit. You have control over your spirit. It's not your mind. It's not your emotions. It is your spirit and you can utilize it and allow it, better said, to pray in pray in the spirit. Now you can pray with your mind also because we do live in a reasonable realm of thoughts and we have to make conjectures and ideas. But you can sing praise with your spirit also. I do that all the time. I often, Very often songs are coming out of me I've never written or I've never heard before. They're spontaneous. Where are they coming from? From the Epiraneus. Because they seem like a song I've known my whole life and just boom, comes out. Where'd that come from? Every song I've ever written, that's how it comes. It's just if I don't write it down, it's gone. The songs come so quick, and I've written over 500 songs that way. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Well, there's the issue of tongues. Do people pray in tongues or not? I do. I, I, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of you. I love tongues. I enjoy tongues. I really do. I love praying in tongues. I like doing it. Um, I do it all the time. I don't always do it in the services because the way that I read the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says it has a specific place, and I use it in that place. But as far as my private life, I walk around the house all the time. Talking. My daughter's all the time asking, is that Spanish? I said, no, no, it's the spirit. She's like, oh, cool. I just ramble around and go into things and talk. It's just good to always be there. Now we're coming to the last one. Everybody say amen. 
I know it's a very wordy message, but we need word. We need real messages. I'm sorry I'm not here just telling you. You should feel good about life. God loves you. Did you know you're loved and that love is good? No, I'm sorry. I'm not teaching that. I'm not high-fiving you tonight. No high-fives. The church is operating in the heaven and heaven, so the church is there. Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms in uh, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, you can kind of miss what the scripture is saying, but... It's speaking of the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And if you follow through the whole line of thought, it's you. It's the church. The power of the church. This gets into the realms of um, permission and denial, binding, loosing, allowing and not allowing. Our power collectively in the church is mind-blowing. We can change the course of nations with things we decide. And I know this for a fact. I've heard so many stories about the course of nations, movements, things changing from one little conference table with five or six people around it. If it can happen in the natural that way, what about the supernatural? It can. And God gives us that authority. A bunch of guys sat around sketching things on a napkin in a restaurant one time. Ideas. They were having coffee. So if we make a series of movies... What would they be? Well, I would like to see a movie about toys that come alive. And somebody, they're scratching on this napkin. Or I would like to see a movie about uh, um, this and about that. They made a list of things. All of the Pixar films in their line were written out on a paper napkin with some guys having coffee. And look how big that industry is. Just like that. How much more the church, when we get together and have a meeting and make a choice, and a decision, how we did that just the other night, I can't go into details about it, but we made a decision together as the leaders. And I said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go check that out. And God did supernatural things based upon our decisions together. When two or more gathered, make a decision about something. God's like, done. That's authority. That's the power. If we can come into agreement, and that's the issue. We don't always come to agreement. But if we can come into agreement, there's nothing that can stand in our way as the church. And because our power is not earthly, our power is from the Epiraneus. Supernatural. According to his eternal purpose. In other words, he has a plan already, but he needs us to rise in that authority to make it take place as a church. 
So it all starts in your life. It continues in intercession forever um, for others or, or for other people, people that we know. That authority and power. You can stand in the gap for people. All that is the authority we have. How many people have you prayed for and you've seen things drastically turned around? And you know it's because you prayed. And God answered your prayer. I've seen it happen. My own brother's salvation came that way. And I prayed for him. The Lord laid him on my heart. And I told God, I said, Jesus, visit my brother in his dreams. Wake him up and show him who you are. And my brother was a devout atheist. He could care less. He has no interest in God at all. In fact, when I was 12, I almost got saved and went and told my brother, hey, I just heard the gospel about Jesus. It's really amazing. He spun around and looked at me and says, you're stupid. You believe that nonsense? You're such a fool. But he's my older brother. So I was like, oh, no, I was just, I'm just talking. And I felt that peace disappear. Denied Christ. That quick. It's like the seed on the road, the parable of the sower. But my brother, so he was hard-hearted. And I prayed in prayer, in the church, together, for our families. And next time, next family reunion, my brother came in scared. He saw me across the room. and He says, I need to talk to you. I said, what's up, Kenny? He says, come here. He said, Jesus visited me in my dreams. He said it just like that. He was trembling. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> I knew how that happened. I was so excited. I said, let me talk to you and your wife. We'll go in the front room. Later we went in. They prayed to receive Jesus as their Savior. He said Jesus came to him in his dreams, stood before him as a column of light and said, I'm Jesus. Just, just like that, I'm Jesus, receive me. And he said he woke up shaking and felt electricity over his whole body in consciousness now. And his wife next to him was next. She felt it too, but she didn't have the dream. And Jesus was hovering over him. And he was petrified. And just a few days later, he was at that family reunion and came and told me God saved. And it wasn't long after that, he was on the mission field with me. He says, God is amazing the way he can work in people's hearts and lives when the church prays. Never, never think that God's not listening. He hears it. Now, he might have some issues about your timeline versus his timeline. And that's where you need to give him a lot of license to be God. But the things you're asking for, believe me, he knows exactly. And he has the best plan. Amen? Amen. These are the, la the things that we saw. We're going to go straight to the summation. Why don't we stand up as we do that? I want us to pray tonight. I thank you for your patience during this message. Five things that exist in the heavenly realms and the Epiranius very important the first of which is every spiritual blessing in the heaven and there are spiritual blessings available for us that God wants us to have that he gives to us and they're coming from above number two Christ is in the heavenly realms he's seated right now there in this moment it says that he's where he is forever after the the order of the high priest Melchizedek he is there interceding for us, praying for us constantly in that realm, affecting time. Our place is there. We have been set apart for that. We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And that light is the same light shining down from above. And as we operate in life, we know that uh, 
flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of God and nor is our war against flesh and blood. We're spiritual beings in a spiritual war with spiritual entities and God's word is the sword that we carry. We just need to know it and use it and our faith will defend us and protect us. The enemies are there but we don't need to fear them. I like what Jesus said about the demons. He said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. He's nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't rejoice that you have power over demons, but that your names are written in the Epiraneus because that's where we belong. And finally, the church operating in the heavenly realms. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, this evening. We thank you for your wondrous works. We thank you for showing us the truth of your word. We come hungry always for it and we're grateful that we're walking in those realms. These realms are the realms of God. We ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart and our understanding more and more as we learn, as we grow. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. I want us to end with that song. When you call my name, I want to know it's you. I want to know it's you. Help me recognize it. I want to know it's you.
those words are sealed in our hearts we rest in their knowledge we know that we are spiritual creatures and that we must worship you in spirit and in truth bring us into your realms Lord teach us progressively as we grow in the name of Jesus